uh, read 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house to dwell in? Build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites... Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people. 
and from whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now, be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So walking down the main street of a city and being offered a leaflet, you ignore it or take it and then ignore it because you don't think it will do you any good. Well, there was an experiment conducted by a London newspaper. They got a man to stand just here, outside Oxford Circus tube station, offering people a leaflet. On the leaflet was the free offer of five pounds. All you had to do was bring the leaflet back to the man and he would hand you the cash right there on the spot. Hordes of people passed him and in three hours only 11 people came back for the money. They thought they already knew what he was handing out, that it wouldn't do them any good, so they either didn't bother to take it, they didn't bother to read it, or if they did read it, they simply refused to believe it. The offer Jesus made, if it turns out to be real, is worth far more than that £5 note. He offers to make sense of life in a way that nothing and no one else can. Now that's a big claim. But if there's a chance it could be real, isn't it worth checking out? Well, that offer that Jesus makes, it really is extraordinary. And at the end of that video that we just saw, Rico Tice is the man that was uh, speaking there. At the end of that video, he asked that question, doesn't he? If there is the remote chance that this offer Jesus makes might be real, is it worth checking out? And the Bible gives us plenty of evidence that Jesus and his offer is very real. And the passage that we've just heard read for us today is one of the most significant examples of that. It describes events that occurred a thousand years before Jesus even walked the earth. And it describes this promise that God made that he ultimately delivers through Jesus. And the words that are spoken there, the words that God speaks, they are so significant that he, this promise that he makes, it shapes all of human history and in fact uh, shapes all of eternity now that's a very big claim isn't it now, if you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus I hope as we look at this passage of 2 Samuel 7 that you'll be convinced that it really is absolutely worth taking the time to at least stop and to check it out so good morning everyone uh, my name is uh, Paul Cooper most people call me Coops and I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Trinity Church Modbury. If you've got your Bibles handy or your devices, keep them open there at 2 Samuel 7. We'll refer to that uh, as we go. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words that you preserved for us. And we thank you that we're able to hear them this morning. 
And Father, we ask that we might consider them more deeply. And we pray that you might enable us to see the truth and to understand what it is that you've got to say to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're at the beginning here of 2 Samuel 7 and we see that the Lord has made David king over all of Israel. He's defeated all of his enemies and he's living in this magnificent palace. Um, Everyone knows, if you've been with us this year, you know I have a fairly um, love-hate relationship with this clicker, but today we seem to be working. So he's living in this magnificent palace. Um, The bottom red arrow there, you can see that points to where David is. So that's David's place. Like you'd imagine David waking up in the morning and he goes for a stroll around his, his palace there. Maybe he's having a cup of coffee, although probably not coffee back then and where, the geography of where he is. But let's imagine he has a hot beverage and he's walking around and he's feeling pretty comfortable about things. The palace is looking good. He's got the gardens looking nice. He's got his court. There's no enemies. There's no threats that he has to worry about. And obviously anybody who walks into Jerusalem and sees this massive structure that he's living in can see the authority and the power that David has that would be clear and as he's walking around surveying his kingdom he gets a glimpse of the tabernacle the tent where the ark of the covenant is kept so top of the um, of the picture there in the, the top right hand corner that's the tabernacle so he gets a glimpse of that now the ark contained the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. It looked a bit like this. And the ark was a symbol of God's presence and housed, as I said, in this, in this tent, in the tabernacle, in the top right-hand corner of the screen there. And so David sees the difference between his house, where he's living, and where the ark is being kept. And so he makes this comment in verse 2 to Nathan. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And so Nathan replies to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. And perhaps, you know, David's reaction, comparing where he lives and where the ark is, is understandable. If I showed you this picture, and if I didn't tell you who owned this, obviously the caption's there, but the richest man in the world currently, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, this is where he lives, so this is Jeff's place. And if I said to you, you know, what do you, what do you think about the guy that lives here, apart from the fact that he owns a lot of cars, because apparently it has its own petrol station, you, you'd look at that and you'd say, you know, this is a guy that's really influential. He's wealthy, he's powerful. This is somebody who has status. And here in 2 Samuel, David knows who God is. He knows that nobody has more authority or more influence than the creator God. He's given David everything. And so David's not comfortable as he sees where the ark is, symbol of God's presence, and David's own house. And so Nathan tells him to do whatever it is that's in his heart because the Lord is with him. Now, did you notice here, this is Nathan talking to the king, but it's not the Lord speaking through Nathan. And so Nathan knows the Lord is with God. So he says to David, look, do whatever you think is right. And what's in David's heart here is to build something that reflects who God is, to honour God, or maybe to acknowledge the God. So we can understand the motive. It's hard to fault what David feels. But as we see next, this isn't the reaction that God wants. 
He says from verse 5, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So can you hear God's question here to David? Why is it that you think that you are the one to build me a house? After all, there's been plenty of opportunity, hasn't there? The Israelites, after the exodus from Egypt, as they were travelling through the wilderness, they took the ark, the symbol of God's presence, they took it with them wherever they went. And this happened over many, many years, and God never told the rulers. He never told the ones that he put in charge of his people to build a house for the ark. He never said that. But he did say other things to his people. This is one verse from the book of Leviticus, way before David. What he did say was he would dwell with his people, he would be their God, and they would be his people. And he also said that his people are to be faithful and obedient to him, their God. That's what he told them. He didn't tell them to build a house, but he did tell them that the right response to God is to be faithful and obedient. And if you think about that, there is nothing that you can build or that can be given to God to replace that. But as we know from the Old Testament, it's not what his people did. If we go back further in history, back to uh, Genesis 12, if you remember Genesis 12, so this is back to where God's, uh, this is where Israel, God's people, this is where it all begins. God chooses Abraham and he makes this extraordinary promise to him to make him a great nation, that he'll be blessed and that through him all of the earth will be blessed through him. So this is God's people, the nation of Israel, descended from Abraham. And you'd recall that despite the promise of blessing, God's people turn from God over and over again, trying to live their own way without him. And God redeemed them and he rescued them over and over again, faithful to his people, even as God's people weren't faithful to him. So throughout it all, God's faithful to his promise, even when his people weren't. And so now in 2 Samuel 7, God makes it very clear how the next step in his commitment to his promise is going to work. First, he reminds David that it's actually God that's been responsible for all of David's success. Do you see that there in verse 9? I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And God is going to be faithful to his promise that he made to Abraham all those years ago by fulfilling it through David. Because he goes on to say, Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. So just like Abraham, God will make David's name great and through him, God's people will be blessed by living in God's land 
secure and undisturbed. And notice also there, he doesn't promise that this is going to be fulfilled in David's lifetime. It's going to be fulfilled through David's descendants. There in verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So here God is describing a dynasty, isn't he? For David, his kingdom and his royal line, it's going to continue forever. And so this promise of Abraham is going to be realized through the line of David. And if you noticed, the language changed. At the beginning of the reading, God refers to David as my servant. It's not a bad thing to be the servant of God. That's a very honorable thing to be. But here, God says that David's descendant will be God's son. So I don't want to immediately point to Jesus here, but we'll, we'll get there. But what he says is that David's offspring will be chosen by God and be adopted. That they'll be family. See, that's the sort of house that God's got in mind. Not a palace built of cedar, but a royal dynasty and a kingship that will endure forever. And it will endure forever because of the relationship between the Lord and the king. So imagine David as he's listening to this. Imagine what he must be thinking. God has chosen him. He was just a shepherd boy. He's been chosen to be the king of Israel, the king of God's people. He has conquered all of his enemies. He has everything he could possibly need. And yet here we see God is so much bigger than that. He's going to use David and David's descendants to deliver on his promise to Abraham that promise that was made so long ago, to bring God's people to rest in God's land all through David. And so the question I want to ask is, can you see the depth of God's character here? The grace and the forgiveness? For a thousand years, God's people, they've turned from him again and again and again. But God hasn't forgotten what he promised to do. And he says here, he'll do it through the line of David. So can you see the unchanging nature of God, faithful to his promise and his people, even when they're not, committed to his people, even when they don't deserve it, reaching into human history to rescue and to save? This is God's promise, which is, it's absolute. This is a cast iron guarantee. This is a God who is powerful, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And after all of this is told to David, David changes just slightly, doesn't he? His stance towards God is is just a little bit different. And as we've read through this um, book of 2 Samuel, David is faithful to God, absolutely. But remember at the beginning of the passage, he's talking about the thing that's in his heart, the material thing that he can do for the Lord. Remember, he reflected on God's house and he thought God needed a building, not a tent. That was the comment that he made to Nathan. But now in verse 18, it seems like his posture towards God has changed a little. His heart 
now just absolutely brimming with gratitude where it says then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said who am I sovereign Lord and what is my family that you have brought me this far so do you see what David does here see previously he was somewhere I perhaps in his palace looking down at the tabernacle now he brings himself into the tent and he sits doesn't stand he sits before the Lord humbling himself there's been a real change he's offering his gratitude and his humility before the Lord grateful for what God's done there's nothing material that David can give to God but he can bring himself before God and not only grateful but marveling really as he understands just the significance of what God has said and he says here in verse 19 and as if this were not enough in your sight sovereign Lord you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree sovereign Lord is for a mere human so not only is God responsible for David's reign as king but he promises it forever we think of how humbling that is God's regard here for mere humans and so the Lord has spoken and his words have described this future the promise that's been made to David and to his descendants and David's speechless there's nothing David can say that God doesn't know nothing's hidden from God he knows David and he knows what David's purpose is and so David says there in verse 21 for the sake of God's word or perhaps we could say because of God's word to Abraham God's promise to Abraham God has brought about all of this greatness he's brought about all of this in order to make David know something what is it that he has done in order to make what is it that he wants David to know to make David know God's faithfulness and David knows that he'll keep his promise I've highlighted it there he knows because of what God has already done and made known to him and he knows because of the words that God's spoken and the words that David has heard about what God will do so if you just think about the sequence of that that is faith isn't it that's the definition of trust believing what God has said knowing that he'll deliver and trusting God's promise that's what faith is and that's the basis here for David's prayer as he brings himself before the Lord it's the basis of David's confidence that he can pray all of these things that he's prayed and that he know he knows that it will happen fully convinced about the character of God fully convinced about the faithfulness of God and as he says here in verse 21 there is none like you there is no God beside you and there isn't is there if we think through what's happened here in all of history there is no one who's promised anything let alone such great things as this promise and then a thousand years later demonstrated it and we see as we read through the Old Testament past this point David's son Solomon will fulfill part of this promise but it's finally and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ God's own son 
descended from David's line. And as Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, God's plan is that by faith we're brought into his family as well, through faith in Christ Jesus, who's both God's son and king of God's people. So can you see how God's promise made to David about 3,000 years ago directly affects us and directly affects human history? God's son, who's the king of all of God's people, he will bring us to a place of ultimate rest, ultimate rest to be with the Lord forever. And that's what he promised Abraham and David, wasn't it? Blessing and rest. And that's what we have through Jesus by faith. Forgiveness for ignoring God because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve by dying through crucifixion, who was raised again to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with the Lord by faith. And just like David, we know that he'll deliver. We've heard his words. Just like David, we know what God's done. It's all written down for us there in the Bible, and we can see it in history. God's shown us his character. He's shown us that he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his people, even when they're not faithful to him. And so by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile his people to himself, we know that through faith we'll be saved with him. That's the offer that's held out to us. So if you don't know Jesus yet, if there is the remotest chance that this might be real, don't you think it's worth checking out? That video that was being played at the beginning as I walked up here, that's for a series of discussions called Christianity Explored. And we're going to be having that discussion over a series of weeknights beginning in the next few weeks. It's going to explain exactly who Jesus is and exactly what this offer that he makes is all about. It's going to explain exactly what God's promise is. So if you'd like to check it out, if you'd like to find out whether this is real, then come and grab me after the service and let me know. And you're very welcome to come along, even if it's just for the first evening and you can decide whether you want to come back again. We're going to meet at Cafe Primo in the Durnancourt shops. There'll be coffee and cake. And the date that we start, uh, and the, uh, the date that we start still to be confirmed, that'll depend on who's coming along. So we saw in that video hundreds of people walk past a free offer without even giving it a second thought. Don't do that to the offer that Jesus holds out to us. We know what God has already done, and we've, He has made it known to us. It is all written in history right there in the Bible. And we know the words that God has spoken and we know his promises true. Grab me after the service and let me know if you want to come and check it out and make the decision for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's no God besides you and there is no other event in all of history that has so changed the world as has your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your plan to bring life to us and the way you've worked in history to make that clear. Father, please help those who have accepted the Lord Jesus in their lives to dwell on your character and to grow an understanding of who you are and the grace that you've extended to us. 
Father, please reach those who don't know you and stir in them a curiosity not to walk by but to stop and take a closer look at the offer that only you hold out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.